This is Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. Cross Hope is broadcast daily and shares five minutes of hope and encouragement from the Word of God. Our companion website is www.crosshope.org. Now with today's uplifting message, here's Randy. Well, during this time of pandemic, we share a few messages from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. You may wonder, why are you preaching from Jeremiah after being in the New Testament book of James? Well, this book of the Bible has something to say, not only to me individually, but it has something to say to our country in general, believe it or not. It's not directed at the United States of America. It's directed at people who say, we follow God, but wink, wink, we really don't. That's what this book is about. Have you ever been envious of someone you knew that was not the most honest person in the world, yet everything seemed to fall into their lap? You ever found yourself envious of someone, a man or woman, you knew they weren't dealing righteously in their business dealings? You knew that they weren't quite right in the way they handled themselves morally or ethically, yet you say, man, it all goes their way. Everything falls into their lap. And then conversely, you find somebody who seems to be walking the straight and narrow and doing the right thing, and you say, illness, tragedy, things going wrong in their life financially. You say, what what do they do to deserve that? Did you know that one of the oldest questions in the Bible is the question, why do wicked people prosper? The oldest book of the Bible is not Genesis The oldest book of the Bible is Job in terms of when it was written. And Job in the 21st chapter, you can read it later, looks around him and he sees all these people that are not following the Lord who their crops are growing, their herds are growing, money's coming in, and even makes this observation, which I found interesting, said even their children are dancing in the streets with tambourines. They're just having a good time. Life's a ball. And yet those were the people that were not following the Lord. Come with me to this book of Psalms. We'll read it in a minute. A man by the name of Asaph looked around him and said, why is it that the wicked people seem to prosper, God? And he said he he developed such an obsession with other people that he said he became a brute beast. I I think he became animal-like. Be careful what you obsess over in life. You can obsess over other people, over bad people getting good things, and and it takes over your life. That's what happened to this man called Asaph. And then the prophet Jeremiah that we've been studying for weeks says, Lord, I, I got an issue to take up with you. I've got a problem. Why is it that wicked people seem to prosper? So it's an age-old question, and today in an age where preachers talk about health and wealth gospel, where you come to Jesus and you'll get your Cadillac and your Lexus, you come to Jesus and everything will be great for you. I can show you from Scripture health and wealth paganism. Health and wealth paganism where wicked people succeed. Just remember this thought. I didn't share it in the other two. The Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. What does that mean? Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. That's what it means. Things happen. And today we're going to look at a passage of Jeremiah where Jeremiah says life isn't fair. And that may be something that's bothered you for weeks, months, maybe even years. Let's read about it in Jeremiah, the 12th chapter. Jeremiah 12, just two verses, and then from Psalm 73. Jeremiah is speaking, and he says, You are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you. 
Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless, people who don't have any faith, live at ease? You have planted them and they have taken root, implying prosperity. They grow and they bear fruit. You're always on their lips, but you're far from their hearts. Do you know anybody like that? God's always on their lips, but far away from their hearts. It could describe you or me. Now then, today, part two of the message we began yesterday from Jeremiah 12 in the Old Testament. We continue with the reading of a secondary scripture, Psalm 73, about a man who had a lot of resentment in his heart. His name was Asaph, A-S-A-P-H. God bless you as you listen today. And then from Psalm 73, the most famous passage of all about this resentment, Psalm 73, 3 says, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Verse 11, they say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. And then verses 16 and 17, When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Then I understood their final destiny. Sometimes I save what I consider to be the most important thing till the end of the message. Sometimes I share it in the middle. Today I'm going to say it at the beginning. This is the most important thing I'm going to say, and it's this. Don't base your opinion of God based on the distribution of wealth. Don't base your opinion of God based on the distribution of health. Base your opinion of God on the cross. Take all of your feelings of resentment. Take all your feelings of bitterness because somebody got something that you thought was coming to you and then lay it at the cross. And you'll have a whole different attitude. Base those opinions of God and the Lord himself based on the cross rather than what has come to you or hasn't come to you. I want to give you a few principles today to write down. The first principle I want you to remember is this. If you envy somebody, envy doesn't start out as bitterness, but it always ends up that way. You envy somebody long enough and you will become a bitter man or a bitter woman. Why? That's what happened to Asaph in Psalm 73. He said he became bitter. He became bitter. Envy doesn't start out as bitterness, but it always ends up that way. The more resentful you are, the more envious you are, the more bitter you will become. And when that resentment and envy gives way to bitterness, bitterness then becomes what I believe to be the cancer of the soul. Listen to that again. Bitterness becomes the cancer of the soul. My favorite preacher, Ben Hayden from Chattanooga, Tennessee, watched his own mother die of cancer. And yet he made one of the most offensive statements that offends people to this day when they hear it, but I believe he's right. He said he believes it's far better to have a physical cancer than it is to have the cancer of the soul, which is bitterness. Man, that's strong. That's a strong statement. Listen to it again. He said, I believe that a person would be better off to have a physical cancer than to have the cancer of the soul, which is bitterness. 
The second principle I want to share with you out of these passages today is the principle about perceptions. Be careful about your perceptions. Sometimes we assume that somebody's got a great life and they don't. Sometimes we assume that somebody's got a terrible life and they actually have a pretty good life. We can be wrong in our perceptions. Well, tomorrow on Crossover, we'll continue with a strong illustration about an author by the name of John O'Neill, who was around not millionaires, but multimillionaires and billionaires. It's interesting to hear his observations of what was going on in their lives. It may speak to you this week on Crossover. Our website, of course, is crosshope.org. That's one word, crosshope.org. God bless. Some of you remember this illustration from a few years ago, but John O'Neill is a corporate psychologist. He goes around to companies around the country talking to them about the problems their employees and executives have, counseling on a corporate level. He wrote a book called The Paradox of Success, When Winning at Work Means Losing at Life. What a title. When Winning at Work Means Losing at Life. He was at a gathering several years at a huge estate in New York State. America's top 100 people were at this gathering. They weren't millionaires. They were multimillionaires and billionaires, the 100 top people in the country. John O'Neill said this, I was sitting there at this gathering of 100 people looking around me, and just three rows in front of me was one of the most successful people in the country financially. And yet he said, I had a private conversation with him the night before, and in a private moment, he said to me, my life is like a train wreck. My personal life is like a train wreck. What a description. Successful in the eyes of the world, but he told John O'Neill personally, my life is like a train wreck, talking about his personal relationships. He said sitting nearby him was a man who controlled a media empire, yet required medication just to get out of bed in the morning. He didn't need medication to go to sleep. He needed medicine just to get up and function in the morning. Others that that were there at this gathering were showing signs of extreme stress and deep personal problems, yet the perception by most people that these 100 people had it great, the 100 top successful people had it great, don't always base your decisions about other people by your perceptions, and likewise, don't base your opinion of God based on your perceptions of who has what and who doesn't have what. You ever notice that somebody seems to get away with things? You know, how do they violate the Word of God day in and day out and get away with things? Well, Chris Thurman has something to say about it in his book, The Truth We Must Believe. It appears that people can sometimes escape punishment. They can beat the system. They can fool themselves and others if they're crafty enough to get away with it. Yet, he says, it just seems that way. I think one of the saddest stories that I can share with you that came out of my years in high school in terms of what happened to people I want to talk about two students that I went to school with. The girl, Kathy, went to my home church, so I knew her through church and I knew her through school. John and Kathy were dating. They were up on Lake Michigan in Chicago for a date. And after their dinner, John said to Kathy, hey, let's go out on one of the piers there on Lake Michigan and just sit on the pier and just enjoy the evening. Dusk, maybe a little darker than that. Turned out they were the only people out there at that particular occasion, which is hard to believe in itself, but they were the only ones out on this pier on Lake Michigan when a gang of thugs came up and started hassling John for his wallet and for money. One thing led to another. There was a scuffle in the fight. They killed John right in front of Kathy. 
And Kathy, to save her life, dove into Lake Michigan, dove off the pier. She was a good swimmer and just swam out as far as she could to get away from them, swam down the lake to get help. And John lost his life. And here's the irony is that to this day, to my knowledge, the people who murdered my friend John have never been caught. They seemingly got away with this murder, and it's one of the unsolved murders in Chicago. And here's my thought that I want to share with you. They may escape the justice system of Cook County, Illinois. They will not escape the one who said this in Scripture. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No one escapes the eye and the hand of God. No one escapes. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Well, I hope this message is speaking to you. It continues tomorrow on Crosshope. Our website is crosshope.org. That's crosshope.org. I want to give you a humorous illustration of how we can have the wrong perceptions about eternity. I don't normally use what I call imaginary stories. I don't like imaginary stories. I like real stories. But this is an imaginary story authored by Rubel Shelley, a man I quote from time to time from Nashville, Tennessee. He said in this imaginary story, a well-paid, recently promoted young executive dreamed that he died. In his dream, he stands at the gate of heaven. The apostle Peter speaks to him and says, do you want to go to heaven or would you rather go to hell? Let me know my options, the the businessman says. Show me hell. Up pops a giant video screen. Girls in bikinis and athletic-looking guys are playing volleyball on the beach. Coolers are iced down with beer. Everyone's wearing brand-name clothes and driving BMW and Porsches. Then the man says, hey, give me a glimpse of heaven, only to notice that the video was still running about hell. And it pans upward and shows this park filled with old people sitting on benches, feeding birds birdseed and playing checkers with angels singing in the background. Very nice, the guy mutters, but I think I prefer hell. I think I prefer hell. Immediately. He's plunged into the fires of hell. He's in agonizing pain and suffering. And in his pain, he screams to Peter and say, where's the beach? Where's the babes? Where's the cars? Where's the beer? Peter says, sorry. What you saw was the promo tape sent up by Satan. What you saw was the promo tape sent up by Satan. That's an imaginary story. And some of you said, that's the stupidest story I ever heard. And it may be, but it illustrates this point. Some of you are buying the promo tape. And you know you have family members. You have people you know that have bought the promo tape. And there is a day of reckoning. Did you know the Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for what we've done in this body? I don't know about you, but that's pretty sobering. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, you know what you do at that time? You plead the blood of Christ. You say, I accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life, and that is the covering for your sin. He said, you really believe that? Yeah, I do. You know how the Bible describes forgiveness is that your sins are taken and put into the deepest sea? 
You know what that means? They're irretrievable. A sin that's forgiven is irretrievable. You may have people in your life that rehash something you did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but the Lord will never do that with a sin that's under the blood of Christ. And I never understood it as a child growing up, but I understand it fully. I think now it says as far as the east is from the west, that's what the Lord does with our sins. If you start at the North Pole and you go south, you eventually will hit the South Pole and go north, and you will go from south to north, south to north. But you go east on the globe, you will always go east. You go west, you will always go west. The the two never meet. And that's the analogy the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, that's what the Lord does with our sin. Well, tomorrow on Cross Hope, we'll conclude this message with a powerful story by Warren Bennis, former president of the University of Cincinnati. Our website is crosshope.org. If you need to listen to this message again or any other message, go to our website, crosshope.org. God bless, and thanks for listening. You may have resentment today. You may have come here and said, you know, I, I, I feel like I've been cheated and life's not fair. You may have family members that you feel were given things that you weren't, and you may have resentments about that. You may feel a school system didn't treat you right, a college didn't treat you right, a corporation didn't treat you right. But here's what I tell people who feel like they've been dealt with unfairly. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Focus on the cross. And then everything pales when you realize I have been forgiven through what Christ did on the cross. Warren Bennis, many years ago, was the president at UC, University of Cincinnati. He wrote a book called Why Leaders Can't Lead. He talks about the flying Walendas. Remember the trapeze family, the guys that would walk the tightrope? He said they were known for their tightrope walking. He talks about Carl Walenda's capacity for concentration on the intention, the task, the decision. But then he says this, I was even more intrigued when several months later, Walenda fell to his death while walking a tightrope without a safety net between two high-rise buildings in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Later, Walenda's wife said that before her husband had fallen, for the first time in his life, he had been concentrating on falling instead of walking the tightrope. He had even personally supervised the attachment of the guide wires, which he had never done before in his career. Warren Bennis said this, the only difference between success and failure, life and death, sometimes is the direction we're looking. Maybe that's the message today. If you're focusing on bad people succeeding, people who don't give Jesus Christ the time of day, they seem to be successful, they seem to have it all, maybe you're focusing on the wrong thing. You need to focus on the cross. Don't base your decisions about the Lord or your opinion of the Lord based on distribution of the wealth. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. You don't base it on the distribution of health and wealth. You base it on what Christ did on the cross for you personally. You know, I've noticed that people like to generalize the cross. What does that mean? They talk about Jesus dying for the sins of the world. 
But I guarantee you, when a man or woman starts thinking about it personally, you know what happens? They start weeping. When it really sinks in for the first time, Jesus Christ died for my sins. And my sins were nailed to the cross. And everything I've done in my life, doesn't matter what it is, it's covered by the blood of Christ. It's covered by the blood of Christ. That's why forgiveness is the most important issue in your life, whether you know it or not. Somebody came to hear that today. Most important issue in your life is not your track record or your success. It's that you're forgiven. Most important issue in your marriage, forgiveness. The most important issue, parent-child relationships, forgiveness. There's nothing more important in your life than the issue of forgiveness, that we serve a forgiving God who proved it by sending his son to die on the cross. That's called the gospel, the good news that Christ died, was buried, and he rose again the third day. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to close by asking you a very personal question. What are you focused on right now in 2020? You may be focused on the pandemic, the economy, your career, your education, doesn't matter. I'm asking you to focus on the one who gave his life for you, who laid down his life for you and for me. His name is Jesus. You've been listening to Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. For more information about this ministry or to re-listen to any message heard on this broadcast, go to our website at crosshope.org. Be sure to join us at this same time each weekday or listen at www.crosshope.org. Cross Hope is listener-supported and is produced by Cross Hope Ministries, Incorporated.